You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Sit on down here at the 9-Foot Homemade Oak Bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. This is Socks in the Basement. And we sit here in my basement 30 minutes every show and talk White Sox baseball. It's all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. FAMWS.com or use that phone number right on the label for Socks in the Basement anywhere that you are listening right now, including at SocksInTheBasement.com. And uh, let me tell you something. Big jobs, you know, seepage, you got a leak, or little jobs like a sump pump. And which really isn't a little job if, if you've got a problem with the sump pump and the next thing you know it doesn't work and water pours out into your basement. That's not a good thing either. I had an issue and I was told honestly, look, we can replace this today, but this might have been a one-time thing. This could have been just a just a weird anomaly. You know, the rest of your sump pump looks great, so why don't we give you an estimate and when you want it, the price will still be good. And I waited a couple of months and then I saw the same thing starting to happen again, hit the little accept button, Somebody called me up on the phone, had a full estimate sitting in front of me. The entire price was there. All I had to do was hit accept. They showed up within 48 hours and the work was done perfectly. Remember to reach out to them and mention Socks in the Basement. You will get money off FAMWS.com. My friend on SocksInTheBasement.com is a blog that is called Mismatch Socks. You write about the oddities and the, uh, the interesting things about White Sox baseball and you found something uh, really, really weird about their home run production so far this year, right? Well, not just this year, but just in general. So Eloy Jimenez goes down. Everybody looks and says, okay, who's going to replace his production in the lineup? And we're really talking about his home run production as much as anything else. And then Luis Robert goes down, and we're looking at who's going to replace his production in the lineup. And frankly, it's the power. The power is what's missing. And then over the weekend, as you know, the Sox are putting up big numbers on the Royals. They're only hitting, what, one home run, right? They're, they're just not hitting the ball out of the park. You've got Jason Benetti and Len Casper talking about how Andrew Vaughn is this close, this close to hitting him out of the ballpark, but he's he hasn't hit one out yet. And, you know, the, the conversation has been turning to who is going to replace Robert and Jimenez in the lineup. Mercedes is already here. Vaughn's going to play left field. Are they going to find another power hitter somewhere? Are they going to have to trade for someone? Who's in the minors that's coming up? So I decided I wanted to take a look. Who's in the minors? Okay, who are our power-hitting corner outfield prospects in the minors? And the answer is kind of no one. And the problem is, is that I discovered that it's been kind of no one going back to Carlos Lee and Josh Fields. Right. The point that you're trying to make is that we don't draft home run hitters. They don't turn them out. That's not, that's not something the White Sox do. Which is strange because of the way that the ball gets out of the ballpark at the rate. You know, you would yes. think that we'd be a team that relied on home run hitters. And and when I read your article, which basically breaks down, you know, it's not like we have grown a lot of home run hitters. And, and, and by the way, I think it was two over the weekend. It was Collins and Mendick. And then, of course, you write your article. And on Tuesday night, Abreu goes yard and so does Grandal which was a bomb to right field in that big first win against the Twins. And let me tell you something. This is a great stretch of games right now. I'm in love with this stretch of games. Oh, yeah. If there are two fan bases that I hate more in the American League than the Royals 
and the Twins. I don't know. Like, I find Royals fans to be a just ridiculously bad fans. I've talked right. about it before on this show. I just don't like them. I've gone to Kansas City. Every time I stand around them, they are like the least knowledgeable baseball fans that you've ever had a conversation with. You could quiz them on their own roster. They couldn't tell you the starting nine. They're brutal. And they act like somehow they're great. I, I don't get it. Must be all the barbecue. Right. The, the other team in that equation is the Twins, who, if you're if you're a White Sox fan, you're supposed to hate them. They're, they're, it's just automatic. You're yeah. supposed to hate the Twins. And uh, this is a great stretch here uh, for the White Sox. Royals, Twins, Royals, Twins. I, I just want as many wins as possible against these two teams, not only for where we are in the standings and where we should end up when we're done with it, but especially with the Twins, step on their necks and break their throats and just end it right now. I mean, that's that's what I want. And, I, you know, you're not going to win every game of these two series against the Twins, but I want to win far more than what I lose. That said, I, I wanted to kind of take a look at where the White Sox are right now in terms of their home runs compared to the rest of the league and kind of point out an anomaly that I found after I read your article. The White Sox have the best run differential in the American League. Yes, they do. And wait, check that. The best run differential in baseball. And it's not even close. They have actually been outscoring teams in the... They, they generally sit in their run differential of like a plus... You know, in between 45 and 55 in the amount of runs they have more than what they give up for the whole season. That's where they've been just kind of hovering and moves a little bit from time to time, but that's where they are. Teams like the Red Sox that's, that are in first in the East, uh, they're at the, in the 30s, low 30s. Same thing for Houston, who is surprisingly trailing the Oakland Athletics. Uh, the A's are a negative 10 run differential as I look at it right now. and Which uh, is weird. Yeah, which but. is really strange. So that's going to correct itself, I would think, at some point. But, yes. but general, there's no other team that's even close to where the White Sox have been so far. Meanwhile, the White Sox don't hit home runs. The, the White Sox are in the bottom five teams, I think, right now in Major League Baseball for home run production. And so you sit there and you go, well, how is this possible? How are we scoring all of these runs when we're not hitting any home runs? So let me just give you some interesting stats because I'm curious about your reaction to this, okay? The Sox, right up at the top in average, uh, top five at last I checked in, in their team average. And then in the top five and on base percentage, you know, they're they're doing that very well. Very, very low still in the amount of strikeouts that they have and very high in the amount of walks when you look at them compared to all of Major League Baseball. When you look at the teams that have scored the most runs in baseball, teams that are up with the White Sox in the top 10, the Sox with 27 home runs going into Tuesday night against the Twins, 29 coming out. Uh, the other teams in the top 10, Red Sox, Astros, Dodgers, the Reds even, just all of them. I'm just going to read down the other teams. 43, 38, 40, 46 home runs, 41 home runs, 46 home runs, 44 home runs, 46 home runs, 48 home runs. Let's just talk real quick about the two teams that probably are their biggest threats in this division this year. Uh, the Minnesota Twins. So whereas the Twins have scored 17, have hit 17 more home runs than the White Sox as a team, they trail them by 14 runs total. I think that's astounding to me. Uh, the, the Cleveland Indians trail the White Sox by nearly 20 runs this season, actually nearly 30 runs this season. And yet they have 40 home runs to what the White Sox have. They're double digits more in home runs and about 30 runs scored below the Chicago White Sox. And so 
What I take from that is you have a team that has found a way to buck the trend in Major League Baseball and creates runs, not through just brute force and three true outcome, but because there are things that the team is doing in terms of taking the ball into opposite field. And yes, you're going to have to give some credit to the coaching staff and their manager because somewhere they're finding more run production without putting the ball out of the ballpark. Well, and it shows you that home runs aren't the end-all, be-all here, which is the great news for the Sox because they don't hit them. And they don't have anybody coming off the pipeline that's going to be hitting them anytime soon. But what they are doing well, I think the key is, is that they're getting on base. If you if you watch the games, what you're seeing frequently is not necessarily just that they have one or two big innings, which they, they've had some big innings. But every inning, there seems to be at least one at-bat where the pitcher has to work and it ends up with a walk or it ends up with a single. And you can't really dismiss what that does over the course of a game because it is causing problems. And and somebody like Nick Madrigal, who we've talked about him being in the two hole, we've talked about him, uh, you know, having, you know, just a, a really taxing effect on a pitcher. Somebody like him, you know, he's, he's helping drive up those on-base percentage numbers. He's helping get in some of those extra runs because they aren't losing at bats really uh, in, in key situations. Even Yasmani Grandal, whose batting average, frankly, uh, is about the same as I think the size of my underwear right now. Um, you know, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a size 16 women's. Uh, but the walks, he got on base a ton against the Royals and didn't didn't touch the ball really. And something like that also drives pitchers nuts because he's the automatic out in the lineup. Really, the only the only person who's who's brought them down are the replacement guys and Billy Hamilton and Jake Lamb, who aren't really walking, they aren't really hitting, uh, and and what the hope is is that they're not really going to be playing much either. So if they can continue this this really balanced approach where everybody is a really tough out, one through seven, one through eight, one through nine, they're going to continue to produce those runs. Socks in the basement, listeners, do the hard work, and if you're a hardworking man or woman on the south side, you need to be outfitted properly, and that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva, a work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E, a 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota, and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything, so why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. You know, the first five runs of that Tuesday night game against the Twins, all off of two home runs, Grandal and Abreu, but... I don't know if I mind too much that they're not relying on the home run. There were way too many years when this team relied on home run after home run after home run and couldn't produce or manufacture runs. The problem with, I think, not having the home runs is that on some level and in some way, there are going to be moments when it's harder to string together 
those big innings and you know there's going to be games where it's like look we, we're just out of time we need to we need the big inning now when it's the eighth inning already and what we really need is we really need a bloop and a blast to get us back into this thing so we have a better chance in the ninth something like that and that's where i think you know maybe there could be some correction down the road if you look at the last full season in major league baseball the teams that had the most home runs generally made the postseason the minnesota twins led in 2019 with 317 home runs with the Yankees right behind them with 306, the Astros up in third place, the Dodgers in fourth, the A's in fifth. All those teams made the postseason. The Cubs were sixth, just barely missed it when you actually look at their record. They had a winning record that year. The Brewers and the Braves were at seven and eight. They made the postseason. You know, there is a there is a division winner, though, from that season that had uh, 210 team home runs and was 24th in all of Major League Baseball and won their division, and that was the St. Louis Cardinals. It's not a given that you have to have a ridiculous amount of home runs. And you know what? I think they're going to start hitting them. Rondau will come along. Abreu will get out of what Abreu is doing. The weather will warm up. I still think there's plenty of home runs coming here. I'm not in a panic, though. It's not an absolute that you have to have home runs to win your division to go to the postseason to win postseason games. But again, it goes back to something we talked about a lot on this show over the last week or so. When you're lacking in certain areas that you kind of were hoping you were going to fix, and trust me, this is something we talked about for the last couple of years, Sox needed to find more home runs. We really felt like, you know, there there was a lack of power on this team. Uh, A lot of it's been taken away. All eyes, again, fall on the manager. When I see at least the early results where not only are you in first place, but also the fact that you have uh, lost Luis Robert and are still playing above 500 since since he went down and you're still finding ways to score runs in bunches, there's a definite positive that is there. You want to get upset about the negatives? You, you, gotta, you also have to be excited about the positives. There's a positive there, and I can't wait to see what happens next. There's one thing you mentioned there that is of real interest and should be of real interest to people. The Cardinals are still very much influenced by what Tony La Russa brought to them. Because their their line of managers from Larusa to Matheny now to, to to Mike Schilt, they're still following along with kind of Tony's way of doing things because he changed the culture when he came to St. Louis. So if this 2019 Cardinals are not hitting home runs but still winning the division, and Tony's bringing some of that that's left over to the Cardinals here, that's a reason to get excited right there. Well, I'm glad you brought up Tony because uh, talking about Tony Larusa has become a real thing amongst White Sox fans. Hasn't it though? Yeah, it has. <laughs> because I I have now been doing this show for three years, little over three years. We're near 300 yeah. episodes. Yeah. Uh, you've been a part of this show now for a little under a year, but I, I mean, you've gotten to see a, a, your fair share of uh, White Sox fan opinions. I've never seen a more visceral reaction to anything you could possibly say against Tony La Russa or for Tony La Russa. Like, talking Tony La Russa is the equivalent of talking politics and religion right now. Like, I, I've always made this joke with my friends, and you'll get this because we spent some time on the radio and, and you know, rock alternative radio, right, in, in the late 90s where you could get away with anything. We could say all kinds of offensive things and people just laugh at it, right? Yeah, exactly. It was, it was the more offensive, the funnier it was going to be. Right, and if somebody said, I'm offended, everybody else would tell them to shut up. It's a different world right. these days, right? And, and God forbid now, if you made a political joke, Let's say I made a joke about uh, a political candidate. 50% of the people would just not accept that it was just a joke. And the other 50% of the people 
would be mad that their their person was joked about. You would make nobody happy. It's the same thing. You know, politics, religion, and Tony La Russa right now. Because if I compliment Tony La Russa, I get an insane amount of people that will write underneath the shows, you guys are crazy, he's terrible, stupidest mistake the White Sox ever made, dumb old Tony needs to go out the pasture. If we say something about Tony La Russa making a mistake, like what he did in Cincinnati, I get diatribes, paragraphs, tweets in which somebody actually writes it out on their word processor and then takes separate sections in pictures and then links all those tweets together into a four, five, six tweet thing, breaking down what they didn't like about us because it's wrong to question the White Sox manager, especially when they're in first place. There is absolutely no way to approach a Tony La Russa discussion without a completely polarized response from White Sox fans. It is incredible to me, and I, I want to kind of demonstrate it here because I think that what's interesting is that we have said good things and bad things about him. In fact, Ed, you're on this show because the guy who originally sat at the other end of the bar lost his mind when the White Sox signed Tony La Russa. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm literally here because of Tony La Russa. Right, you're here because of Tony La Russa's hiring because Dave sat at the other end of the bar and lost his mind mind when Tony LaRusso was hired. If you've never heard it, go back and listen to it. it, it but it, it's crazy. And then he didn't want to come back and do the show anymore. He was so upset at the hiring of Tony LaRusso. Meanwhile, I have sat there throughout the entire offseason and said, give him a chance. You know, I, there are some positive things that he's doing here. I, I have tried to be a voice of reason when I'm doing it. But then when I turn around in one of our previous shows here, one of our more recent shows, and I say, that's an issue, the thing where he doesn't know the rule. That that's a, you know, Tony, the all eyes are on Tony LaRusso because now he's got to find a way to manage with guys that are injured. The response is so visceral. I just kind of want to kind of read some of these to you that we've oh, got yeah, because right. we get the same thing. When we say something nice about Tony, people get mad at us. Okay. And I get it. I want people to participate. In fact, go to SaxonTheBasement.com in the bottom right hand corner of the website. There's a little blue microphone. I would love to hear your voices because I don't like reading people's tweets and comments on Facebook and, and things that they send us. I, I don't like reading that stuff. I'd much rather it be your voice. So by all means, go to the website, click on the little blue microphone on any device, your laptop, whatever, and leave a message. Because I would love for you to give me your point. And if you want to yell about me and Ed saying something, that's totally fine. Oh, right, please do. Please do. We had, a, we had a comment on Facebook where somebody was upset. And ba- I'm, I, this is a very long diatribe, but I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase it. That it, it's, it's wrong to nitpick all these mistakes because every manager makes mistakes. Well, yes, every manager makes mistakes. They sure. all make mistakes. I get it. Not every manager forgets a rule. Look, when I, when I have a Little League team... And, uh, and they give me rules for the year. I read them. And then I keep a, a, like, you know, all the little weird rules that that little league has, because they're all a little different. They have these quirky little rules and time limits and stuff like that. I keep it in my pocket and I have all my assistant coaches read it and we pay attention to it. And that's little league and I don't get paid for it. So I think it's completely natural to be upset about that one game. Do I think that one game should define everything that Tony La Russa does this year? Not in the least. Not in the least, but the idea that you can't sit there and say, well, I I didn't like that. That's surprising to me that there, like, there's always going to be a group that's going to be like, no matter what, even if you, you have to accept all the warts and the ugly and the bad, and you can't say anything about it. And I just don't think that's what being a fan is. This team's in first place. We've said this over and over again. They're a really good team. 
If he's if he's a replacement level manager who makes just as many mistakes as every other manager that's out there, they're going to the postseason. Bar none. Yeah. They're going to the postseason. They're winning the division. But you also have to give credit for the fact, like we said at the beginning of the show, very few home runs, a lot of runs scored. The fact that he is learning as he goes and making adjustments, which was something that Renteria could not do. Do you think Ricky Renteria would have put Nick Madrigal up in the two spot as much as he's done over the last couple of weeks? No, he wouldn't have done that. He would have stubbornly just stuck with what he was doing before. Do you think Ricky Renteria would have continued to play with the lineup until he realized, oh, wait, I need to have somebody behind Yasmani Grandal so that when he does draw a walk and gets on base, it becomes a positive because somebody can drive him in. Like there are adjustments being made on a daily basis. I'm far happier with the fact that I have a manager that makes those adjustments because the other guy painted by numbers and was too stubborn to make any changes. So yes, there are great things that Tony La Russa is doing that are better than the guy that was there. There are also things that he does that are infuriating. I think you're going to find that with every manager. I'm just surprised at how it's become a thing where you, you're one or the other. You can't sit there and see the good, but also point out the bad. It, like I said, it's become very polarizing, I think, with White Sox fans. It, it, it's like politics, religion, and Tony La Russa. Three things that cannot be discussed because there is no middle ground with people right now. And it's it's shocking to me that we've reached this point already in the middle of May. So the bottom line of Tony La Russa, well, there's a couple of bottom lines, one of which is that he's going to make mistakes because he's human. He's going to make mistakes because he's a major league manager and not every game is going to go his way. Pointing out the mistakes doesn't necessarily mean automatically he should be fired or that we hate him or don't like him. You know, that, that, that's all... I remember going through 2005 and wondering sometimes what Ozzy was doing. Um, you know, it, it, remember Ozzy got made fun of. It worked out. But remember when he came out and, and called for Cliff Polite when he meant to throw up his left hand because he, he didn't realize that it made a difference which arm he put up to, to point to the bullpen? That's right. And that's why he goes when he goes to Jenks in the World Series and he puts his arms out the way he does, it's because he can't remember what arm to put up. He said that. Well, he, he made fun of himself on the mound the next day. He looked up both of his shoulders where he had written left and right on his arms and, and then and picked the right one. Right. But maybe we should just agree on one thing and one thing only. Tony La Russa is an incredibly intelligent genius manager who is so old that he needs to be put out to pasture. <laughs> just got to cover it all and then nobody yeah. will be upset. Yeah, exactly. Ed, uh, Cork and Carey at the park is uh, down by the ballpark. Cork and Carey Beverly is at 10614 Southwestern Avenue. If you've never visited the Beverly neighborhood and the Cork and Carey that is there, uh, you're missing out. Just one of those places you walk into and you think to yourself, like, there's history here. Beautiful bar. Uh, it's one of those old-fashioned Irish pubs. Uh, you can't go wrong walking in there. Very friendly staff, and they're located right along Western Avenue. Uh, make sure you go check them out, especially when you're in the area. They've got a beautiful patio. This summer, it should be just an awesome time in their enclosed outdoor patio. And, and when I say patio, I'm not talking like you stand around. No, I'm talking like they have built-in seats in there. And it, basically, it's, it's like having an, a, a pub without a roof that's next to the pub that has the roof. 
I mean, they got the they got the outdoor bar with the TVs and everything. It's just a beautiful place to spend time as the weather gets warm. They'll get different food trucks that'll pull up outside as well. It's fun for all. And they have a comedy show that's going to be coming up. They're doing like a, a big comedy spectacular that they're going to be doing on the 3rd of June. Make sure you check it out. Any details you want, corkandcarrybeverly.com. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I hate the Twins and I hate the Royals. Yes. Is that, I think, a legitimate thing for all White Sox fans, that those are the teams they hate the most? I mean, do you hate the Indians as much? Like, I know in the 90s, I hated the Indians. I hated the tribe. I, you know. But I, I the, the Twins, the Twins and the Royals get a, just a, an, a I get, I get more upset when I see them. Like, I'm like a bull that sees red. I get upset with the Royals because I feel like there has been stuff and times between the Sox and the Royals where somebody like, for example, Sal Perez has just caused unnecessary problems and drama. And, and, you know, you always feel like they're one hit batter away from just starting a fight for no reason, you know, and, and there's, there's that type of a vibe. I feel like with the Royals, as far as the twins, I just got so sick of them being there and, and having this lineup that you look at it and you go, I don't know any of these guys. I don't know where they come from. I don't know why they're on a major league roster. They shouldn't be here. And yet they kept winning games and they would just do that year in and year out. And it wasn't, I don't know if it was jealousy or if it was just the fact that it was like, you know, just for God's sakes, go away. You know, just, just let us have a season without the twins being anything, which I would like to have happen this season, quite frankly, like you said earlier in the show, step on their throats, put them out of their misery right now so that we can have a little bit more fun watching the rest of the season without having to think about the twins. Listen, listen, they're a natural rivalry. I Don't you ever get a kick out of the fact that like every sports league, they try to tell you who the rivalries are. Like this is the yes. rivalry right here. This team, They're a natural rivalry. They really are for the White Sox. And they're a natural rivalry that's been built up between contests with each other over the last 20 years. You know, over the last 20 years, is there a team that has gotten under your skin more than the Minnesota Twins? Is there a team that you have lost meaningful games against and then won meaningful games against in your division more than the Twins? And, and you're right. They, I think the thing that aggravates and frustrates White Sox fans the most is here's a team that we will have several years in a row that we can't get past, right? Like, they, they always got our goat. And even though I, I've said this before, Twins fans I know think that we've gotten the better of them because we at least got a World Series and we won game 163 in 2008. So to, to them, we're, we've won the last two decades. I've had several of them tell that to me. All right? Sure. But okay. to us, we look at it as, look at all the times this team wins a division or makes the postseason, and we haven't. Like, they have far more of those berths into the playoffs than we have. And then they squander it by being unable to win in the postseason. Right, like, exactly. Like to then, us, then just... it's insulting. It's like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. If you're going to beat us, fine, but then why do you keep choking right. and making our division look bad? That's something that also aggravates me because then I got to listen to people say, well, you play in the easiest division in baseball and you still can't win because when the Twins get there after they win the division, they get their butts kicked. Like, that's there's like an extra insult that's thrown on top of it, which, again just makes me hate them even more. There's so much about them that I dislike. Like, I, I'm, I'm kind of happy that we didn't have to see them early in the year. So we were in the position that we were in when we faced them for the first time. Because think of how intense it would be if we were separated by a game or if we were chasing them right now, right? 
or if it was oh, yeah. really early on, like like here, like you could take a loss and be like, ah, we lost. You could take two losses, be like, ah, we lost two losses. We're gonna get to them. We're gonna get to them eventually. We'll be fine. You know, like I'm not panicking with a loss or two. I I, I still see us as the superior team, and so I, I'm more I'm more excited to watch these games. I want to win more than I lose. You can't win every game. I want to win more than I lose. Right now, we're winning more than we lose. Yeah, I feel a lot worse about the opening day losses or the opening series losses last year to the Twins in 2020 than I do about having a very similar result against the Angels to start off this season. Why? Because Max Kepler and Mitch Garver hitting home runs is just irritating versus, you know, Jared Walsh and Justin Upton. Everything about them is irritating. Even even the one Twins home game that I ever saw, which was in the hump dome, that was irritating. My worst experience going on the road to watch baseball was in that Hubert H. Humphrey dome, that garbage bag dome that they used to have. Remember that? That place was awful. And the announcer were coming in and it was when it was in Ken Herbeck was there and Kirby Puckett. And that announcer was so annoying. Like, Kirby Puckett. Like, I mean, it was like he was purposely trying to be annoying when he announced his name. It was, it was, it, it was like nails on a chalkboard when, when he, when you would go on the road. And I remember watching a four game series in which I think the White Sox lost all four games. I know they lost all four games. Had tickets to three of them. It was like a family trip. We spent one day exploring Minnesota, which that's all you need. Yeah, that's all you really need. You can see the whole state in a day, right? And it gave us at least a break from all four of the losses. And I think Shane Mack, remember that guy? Like, oh, you think yeah. He been, yeah, he used to kill the White Sox. He had a walk-off home run, I think, in one of the games. I'm, t- I'm This is like early 90s. And it was baseball day. They gave out real baseballs. And that was a mistake. Because that's a game that Sox fans travel to. And Sox fans, <laughs> Sox fans can't be, you know, there, were, there was no way that Sox fans were going to get seats in the lower deck, right? Because that's where the season ticket holders are. But when you're playing inside of a football stadium, there are plenty of seats for visiting fans in the upper deck. And you've handed them baseballs. That was a terrible decision. I remember my father grabbing me, my dad reaching out and grabbing me by the arm as I went to go loft my baseball onto the field because White Sox fans were so disgusted with a loss in the ninth inning when they got wa- when, when, when they walked off and beat the Sox. The f- players were fleeing the field. What a terrible idea. Who hands out real baseballs ever? Like, it's a terrible idea, okay? But definitely don't hand them out when a rival's in town because there were way too many fans for the rival there. And they threw baseballs. Not, not just a the rival, field. but a, a very local rival. Yes, an angry rival because this is yeah. our real, true rival, right? Like, yeah. the, the, like Yankee fans. I, I would imagine the Yankees don't hand out baseballs when the Red Sox fans are in town, and vice versa, right? No, I, I think they even serve beer in plastic bags just to give it the softest thing possible. Right. It would be. Yeah, you don't hand out weapons when you know no. that you're, you're you're you know like Cardinals fans are not handing out baseballs when the Cubs are in town or vice versa, right? No, although I do think the Cardinals did have blow dart night with the Cubs in town once, and that was a bad idea. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found, and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.